Hey everybody, welcome to the Intermind Podcast with your host, Shereen Wilson, Intermind Specialist and Health Expert. This is a podcast dedicated to discussing topics around the mind and the body, talking about all things regarding success, entrepreneurship, health and love and relationships, sharing stories, insights, new perspectives and tools on how you can get out of your head and start creating the life you want today because success is easy. All right, everybody, and hello. Welcome back to the Inner Mind Podcast with a special guest. Um, I'm really excited to talk to her. I actually had the privilege of having a couple conversations with her earlier today, as well as earlier this week. And I've heard her, of course, where else would I hear her? I heard her on Clubhouse. Um, and so I'm going to go ahead and introduce her. Her name is Liz Childs, and she is an experienced licensed clinical professional counselor with 20 years of therapy experience. She specializes in strength-based, depathologized treatment of trauma, anxiety, and depression, and has been in private practice for over 16 years. She is a certified trauma therapist trained in cognitive behavioral therapy, acceptance commitment therapy, trained in eye movement desensitization therapy, and crisis intervention and stress management. She is the CEO and founder of Maryland Psychotherapy Services, a private practice located in Ellicott City, Maryland, where she sees individuals and couples. Wow. Basically, she knows her shit, okay? She's she's got some credentials, which is great, but, you know, and we, you know, we love the education. We love it that we love knowledge and all that stuff, but I'm more interested in your soul level knowledge and your life experience. And I mean, not more interested, I should say just as interested. Um, so Liz, thanks for being here today. And yeah, how are you doing? Oh, thank you for having me. So I know it's like, it's always like a whole bunch of like letters and alphabet soup behind my name. It just, the thing that it means is it really just gives me a lot of credit and like, I've had a lot of learning and basically I'm just a professional badass. (laughs) I love it. I love it. And you're a badass in your life too. I do my best. (laughs) Can you tell the audience a little bit about your experience because that's kind of here's the thing people for those of you who don't know who haven't been around the block club us there's a lot of people that can come up there and have a bunch of names and numbers behind their name or say they have a bunch of names and numbers behind the name their name but until you hear them and you're like okay they they got it they know what they're talking about it you can't really like you get a good sense until you really hear them and when I heard Liz speak I was like okay, she knows her stuff. Not only does she know her stuff, she's experienced it. I was like, oh, this girl been through some things, right? Like this girl knows knows a thing or two. And so can you just tell people a little bit about your background in your own, well, you don't have to divulge your personal trauma, but just a little bit about um, how you got into what you got into, which is, I'm going to summarize it, psychotherapy, trauma coaching, counseling, clinical counseling that stuff. Can I, can I say it like that? Is that offensive? I don't want to read out all of your credentials again, but basically why, how, and why did you get into what you got into today? Who are you, who you are today? 
Well, it's actually really quite simple. I never wanted anyone to ever feel the way that I did. Wow. That being, because. Yeah, that being like, you know, I started off in um, like my trauma that, that set everything in motion was I lost my father when I was 10 years old. Mm. And since I didn't know how, and I was not shown how to deal with my grief or my emotions, I reached for something outside of myself that seemed to always be there, that was socially acceptable, that was made me more comfortable. But eating food emotionally is what got me up to being 450 pounds. Mm. Wow, that's huge. And I only know a sliver of that story. Yeah, Um, it's actually a very long story. (laughs) Um, So, but it's... um, it's a powerful story, but then there's also been like other traumas. It's like, so when someone says, oh, you know, you know, I'm not going to ask you to divulge, you know, any of your traumas, but it's kind of like, I'm really, oh, really? Which one? <laughs> it's like the same thing when somebody does you, do you believe in God? Oh, of course I do. Which one? <laughs> so, yeah. 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 And would you say that because of the emotional eating, by the way, folks, she is not 450 pounds today. So... <laughs> Far from it. <laughs> yeah, far from it. She's beautiful, fit, and healthy, and very astute. Can you say, because what we're going to be, I'm going to give it away, what we're going to be talking about today is addiction mm-hmm. and the root cause of addiction and going into some of those rabbit holes. And so your first, was was food your first addiction? Uh, yes, I would I would say, yeah. Well, you know, aside from oxygen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yes. Yeah. And um, did it go anywhere else? How did you get into, how did, how did you find the strength and the courage to address it and get to a place where you are not 450 pounds today? I was 25 years old and I was dying. I had high blood pressure, high cholesterol. I had sleep apnea, so I had to sleep with a CPAP machine and I was diabetic. I could not walk down a hallway without getting winded. I couldn't fit into regular size clothing. I, I no seatbelt would actually fit me. And I was in pain, mental and physical all the time at 25 years old. And I thought I would rather, would rather die with the chance of freedom than be living or by walking around in my own padded cell. Mm, wow I got really tired of of my own bullshit and so at 25 years old I decided to have gastric bypass surgery Mm -hmm. I lost over 232 pounds but then I ended up having a divorce Mm. and it was at that point that I realized that food fixed like the surgery fixed my stomach but it didn't fix my head and the only way that I was actually relating to my husband at the time was through food. Wow. And he had a different type of addiction and it simply didn't mesh with mine. And I realized that once I had actually lost the weight and once I started coming to a realization of who I am, that I didn't love me. I didn't know me. Therefore, he couldn't either. Wow. That was... That's so powerful what you just said there. 
Well, we always like, I guess that's, that's going to be our, our other podcast next week when we talk about <laughs> codependency. Yes. Yes. Stick around folks. We are going to do another one with Liz. So get to know her um, because she's going to be talking next week on codependency. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure that plays into another, uh, that plays into all of it uh, with the addiction, with the, comes down to the insecure attachment. Um, of course. Yes, because when we don't know and we don't love ourselves, then we have nothing to, in which to enter a relationship anyway. And it's most of the time, most of our traumas were found, we find them to be familiar because they're familial, meaning they're founded in the family of origin. We actually ended up learning codependent behaviors in order to be able to survive. And so addictions a lot of times create and are fueled by and maintained by codependency. So it's, yes, so the first step to actually any, to treating any type of mental illness or disease or disorder or addiction is first, know you. Mm. Know yourself, which is always really, really hard if you've never actually been free to figure out who you are. Mm -hmm. Or had a safe enough environment to do that. Exactly. Because, you know, what I always tell my, tell my clients is like, when it comes to, there's an inner child and there's an inner teenager and like your inner teenager has three jobs to be pissed off, to push boundaries and to be sexual. Yeah. So boundaries let us know that we're safe when that was not modeled for us. We can, we continue to push up against and wanting to find a boundary that's healthy so we can feel safe. Yeah. Yeah. I, my mouth has dropped because I don't know how many times I've had to coach clients in helping them understand that they will do a disservice to their children if they don't implement a boundary versus, you know, and, and we can do a whole nother podcast, I'm sure about parenting and mm -hmm. I'm not here to criticize anybody's parenting, but just nope. emphasizing, under, emphasizing the need to have boundaries because it creates safety. Otherwise, like you said, letting your children do whatever they want actually creates an insecurity and they will have to eventually figure that out the hard way in life so mm -hmm. it, it, we Liz I know you believe in this balance for everything right so there is a balance and cause and effect so you think you're doing your kids a favor by not laying down that discipline or having boundaries but you know it doesn't work that way doesn't work that way. It will come back to bite them and probably harder. It is much harder to learn boundaries when you are older. Right. We also don't have boundaries when we don't, we're not actually protecting that which we love. And there's actually six different types of boundaries. Most people, you know, they just think that it's a very popularized word that therapists have a tendency to throw around, but they're, they're absolutely critical. And they are the ultimate self-care. Yeah. Yeah. It is the ultimate self-care, ultimate self-love, ultimate self-respect. So hundred percent agree. Okay. Um, I want you to kind of share the gold nuggets that you shared with me this week that blew my mind um, when we went back over some voice messaging. And so going into addiction and the reason I wanted to do the whole podcast on addiction is one, I, I don't, I think people are 
It is so easy to be like an addiction and go to alcohol or go to drug and go to these extreme cases. And as long as I'm not an AA, I don't have a problem. You know, I don't have addiction in my life. Well, I'm not smoking cocaine 24 seven or crack. I don't even know how you do it. But as long as I'm not taking drugs, I don't have an addiction. And I've been naive to it. And it's come up a lot in the last couple of years with my clients. And, and I've had the privilege of helping clients overcome addictions with the help of um, licensed psychotherapists working alongside and doctors and stuff. Just want to be clear on that. Um, I do work with the team because it is outside my practice. However, I've, I've noticed that there is, there's some, there needs, there's a lack of education there. And I want people to begin to understand what addiction is for themselves so that they can start to take ownership before it spirals and they can recognize it in themselves and in others and how to work through that. So let's de-stigmify addiction and help us understand what is the difference between an addiction versus a habit? Mm. Yeah, so in order to destigmatize addiction, we first really get to go to like the root of it. So what differentiates what a habit is versus what an addictional addictive pattern is? So a habit is something that we do consistently, consistently over a period of time, which usually has a beneficial type of result. So for example, brushing your teeth. So it's, we would actually say, oh, well, I do that, you know, two, three times a day, right? After meals. And, but it's like, will it would ever cross over to being a, an addiction? Probably not. But, but a, an addiction is something that we do because it feels good. We like, so for example, sex, drugs, alcohol, shopping, gambling, all of those different things, alcohol. Yes, exercising. I mean, I've had patients that that has actually become an addiction. And, you know, so here's the deal is that anything that we do because it feels good, if we're doing that because it feels good and then it turns over into that we do it to feel good. I can't do marijuana. Like I can't sleep if I don't smoke before bed. I can't relax in a social environment unless I drink. I can't relate to my partner unless we're out eating. I can't have sex unless I've watched porn previously. Like there's lots of different things that we do that it's like, well, it may feel good and it releases like dopamine or endorphins. But when it crosses over is like when we're having to do those things in order to get the desired effect. Right. So it's looking for something outside of ourselves. And so, and that's, that's really what it is, is like the versus like, you know, doing something because it feels good versus doing something to feel good. And I've had lots of people say something similar to, to what you had mentioned previously of just going, oh, well, I don't really have a problem. I only drink on the weekends or I don't really have a problem. I, I, I smoke marijuana because it's relaxed because I, I just, I just want to relax or, and it's like, well, that's, that's really great. No, I totally understand that. I mean, I like wine, but if I'm doing that because I don't feel that I can interact or engage with other people, because when I don't have it, that becomes, a, that becomes an addictive pattern 
or if I'm smoking to like to relax, it's like, well, sure, you know, I'm never going to argue with people to say, absolutely, it can be medical for glaucoma, for for nausea, for there's lots of different reasons. But if you're doing it to relax, there are plenty of ways to be able to do that without it. And if you've become dependent on it, like physiologically and mentally, emotionally, to be able to do something, to do a, to get a particular result, that's when it becomes a problem. And if it becomes a distraction, so you're doing it because, oh, well, I can't do this without this, or I just, you know, it just, it just seems to help. It's like, because at that point, you're looking to something outside of you that you can actually provide for yourself. And here's where it gets really dicey is when we do those things to disengage, to numb feelings and emotions that we don't know how to deal with is when we disconnect from friends, family, job, responsibilities, and even ourselves, that becomes a problem. Yeah. And that, that was, you know, to be honest, like the pandemic was difficult and I I shared this with you earlier. I found myself, there were times like I am, I have worked really hard in my life to overcome, overcome addictions and be very aware of it. Um, uh, I smoked for 15 years and I, I don't anymore. And I understand now that, okay, that was, I needed that to survive. It was a, it was a trauma response, a coping mechanism. And so I'm aware of it. And when the, when the pandemic hit, there was a lot of emotions and feeling out of control and, as you, you know, all the things that come up, that came up and are still coming up um, with, with has happened in the last two years. And I found myself being like, I don't like that I'm thinking about wanting to numb this. I didn't even like the thought of that in that, oh, if I just, you know, if I just have a glass of wine here or a drink here, you know, or like I even thought, you know, what, what if, what's, what's one cigarette? It's not a big deal. Thankfully I didn't. But, you know, it's, it's scary because I understand, like, it scared me because I was like, what is happening inside of me? So that's so scary that I want to abandon it. Mm-hmm. And I found it scary. Cause it was like, you're, a, I was abandoning myself. Cause I'm telling myself, I don't have the resources, tools, connections, sources, whatever to actually address this. And that's what was really scary. And I love that you had mentioned in, in our voice messages, the disconnection, because we can, we can sit here and talk about, yeah, but it's good for you. And that was even my argument, right? Where I was like, yeah, I have so many clients be like, yeah, what's wrong with being addicted to exercise or addicted to a coffee in the morning? Like what's wrong with having a coffee every morning? If that's what you need to be a good mom or get out of bed or get to the office, like what's the harm in that? And again, it's like, the harm is it's another level of disconnection in my mind. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's like, we will look at all sorts of different ways to intellectualize, rationalize, justify, avoid. There's all different coping mechanisms in there that we are going to, to engage in order to not feel that which makes us uncomfortable. We actually disconnect from our bodies all the time. And so it's like, I'm not going to tell you that you're, that you're wrong. My job is not to sit and down and make you wrong. Like it's not wrong to have a coffee. 
you know, I actually joke with my clients and it's like, you know, like, how are you doing? And I'm like, I'm good. I have my coffee. So no one has to die. But it's also that when I'm, when I'm doing that, it's like with coffee, coffee is also, it causes you to, to become dehydrated. It, it has, you know, it has like those properties in it. And it's also, we don't know if like how that's actually interfacing with, with your gut health and your biome, your, your genetics. And it's the same thing with like, oh, well, I have to, you know, have to have like this nicotine or, you know, or I need to have this drink in order to be a good mom. It's like, well, we sell ourselves short because when we feel like we have to lean on something outside of ourselves to be good enough, we become a victim to it and we give away our power. And so in that disconnection and not believing in ourselves and then wanting to protect ourselves from getting hurt or from feeling that feeling, like we're hardwired to want to avoid feeling. So that's where all of those different mechanisms come in. And we will do just about anything to not feel, but here's the thing. The only way out is through. So when we don't feel something as it comes up, like emotions are actually our superpower. But when we discount them, and especially in like toxic masculine culture, when we tell people that you can't feel like balls to the wall, man up, don't be a pussy, all of those things is like, we're doing a disservice to, to our men as well. It's like, no, you're human. It's like, you're, you're feeling something that may be uncomfortable, but it's designed and meant to be there for a reason to simply push it aside with a substance, any substance that in anything that has the ability to change your mood can become an addiction. Anger for many people can become an addiction. They want to feel powerful. I don't like feeling powerless. I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to feel used. And then we'll actually, we'll set up false boundaries. And then we disconnect lots of people who like an addiction, they become so shamed with some of the behaviors. A lot of them will think that it's too late. Well, it's too late for me to get clean. Oh, you know, I've been drinking for a long time. It's like, no, that's BS. It's never too late for you. And we can learn new ways of interacting with those emotions. So it doesn't have to be so painful. And we want to connect. No one is actually meant to do any of this alone. So within the disconnection, within the separation is the actual pain. At the root of addiction is always disconnection. When we disconnect from ourselves and our ability to provide for ourselves, ability to love ourselves, other people, we actually just end up shoving back this gift of like, no, I'm not worth you knowing. I'm not worth living this life. I'm not worth having these feelings and I can't stand it. I'm broken. And there's a lot of people that have that negative core belief. And that's another underlying thing of addiction because you can become addicted to the negative feelings. A lot of people think you become addicted to just the substance, the substance, right? It's just Mm -hmm. substance, but you can become addicted to the negative feelings. And, you know, when people ask me, I was able to quit smoking after one hypnotherapy session. And it it was not with the traditional hypnotherapy session where it was like what people think. And I did not do it for smoking. I actually went to do it. I went into the hypnotherapy session with a colleague because I wanted to make money. <laughs> I was like, I want to remove a money block. <laughs> and I ended up dealing with the emotion of hate. And when I dealt with the emotion of hate and specifically self-hate, boom, then within an hour of the session, 
I had no desire. I'm talking no desire to smoke, vape, chew gum, nothing, nothing. I'm like, I can't do this. I can't. Funny thing is, is cigarettes and vaping and all that fun stuff is so expensive that it had a direct correlation with my money problems as well. So, you know, but I was addicted to feeling shitty when I smoked. I felt mm-hmm. awful. It would always stem a headache. It's like it, I became addicted to feeling sick. Guess what? There's another layer of that. Why would someone feel addicted? Why would you want to feel addicted? Because I got attention when I felt sick. So like there's so many layers there that people need to evaluate of, you know, why is that addiction there? And what's the emotion? And I love the disconnection. I just, I love that you brought that up so much. And so here's the thing. How do we know when they have an addiction? So for the audience that's listening, if they're like, no, I'm not addicted. How do we know? Hmm. Cause you, you, you specialize with this and you've had firsthand experience. Well, I specialize in trauma, but yeah. like trauma has a huge, mm. like suicidal ideation and suicidal, you know, rate as well as addiction rate to it. It's like, so because the mind and the body will continue to return to the moment in which it experienced a, a complete disconnection and experienced such a level of pain that it feels like it can't possibly stand it. Mm-hmm. And so we go back to those moments. That's what hypervigilance is. Mm-hmm. That's what people pleasing is. And that's where we get into like overproductivity or depression, anxiety. I, I love this. People pleasing, <laughs> people pleasing is actually because there's four different levels and four different types of trauma response. So when we get into fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, fawn is what people commonly know, know as people pleasing. So when we got into a relationship at some point and we have, we create a trauma bond either with the abuser or with someone else who's being abused and becomes a codependent relationship, we want to please them because we never ever want to feel rejected or criticized, abandoned or hurt. And as children, if we learn people pleasing skills, we learn to watch them. We learn to watch their energy, their facial expressions, their body language, so that we know and we can like effectively predict what kind of mood they're in as to whether or not we're gonna be punished in some way or we're gonna be hurt in some way. So it's really, it's a wanting a desire to control our environment and desire to control the other person. And we learned very effectively if I please this person, I can survive. My ego can survive. I can feel accepted and validated. And as children, it's like our parents, if that was set up in that relationship, that is a direct correlation to your level of ability to survive because your survival depended on them. But that those, all of those interactions get carried over into adulthood. So people-pleasing, and then just going with the flow, which a lot of times with addiction looks like peer pressure and why they always talk about in recovery. It's like you get to change your people, places, and things in order to not be triggered. And at that point, when you're triggered, wanting to like alleviate the cognitive dissonance and that pain in order to get the result to feel better can become, that's what the addiction is. We simply don't want to feel and then learning how to shift 
and learning how to interface with our nervous system is the key to emotional regulation. And then we learn how to co-regulate in relationship with other people. So if it was first in relationship that you were broken, it is only in relationship that you can be healed. I love that. I love that. Because a lot of, oh, so many, oh, can you say that again? <laughs> Which part? That last line, if you were broken in relationship. It's only in relationship you can be healed. Yeah. 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 I love it. Um, because like, I can always promise any one of your listeners, if you do not address your childhood traumas, I promise you, your adult relationships will. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, they will. They will. <laughs> I think every single client that comes to me and they're like, yeah, I want success. I want money. I want love. And I'm like, okay, let's go do some inner child work. And they're like, wait, what? I'm like, just go with it. Well, it's always fascinating to me because I, I cannot tell you how many times, like over almost 21 years now, showing my age, um, is that all of my patients would actually walk into my office and then say, okay, so what is it that you would like to achieve in our, in our work together, in our time together? What would you like to have as an outcome? And they always say, I just want to be happy. Oh, right. Oh, constantly. Right. And I'm just like, okay. I'm like, well, okay. So here's something like very quickly. And your, your listeners are going to be like, what? We need to do a podcast on that. They're called smart goals and smart goals means it gets to be specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound. Happiness is not something that you do. It's how you be. And then most of the time we just think, like I've had so many people go, Liz, what do I do? And I'm like, well, that's really part of the problem is that we're always do, 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 do. It's like, you're not a human doing, you are a human being. And it's really like, how do you want to be? And it's like, so when I, I really want them to create a vision of what they want in their life because they get to have a vision that is so powerful that it can withstand the challenge of redesign and redesign simply means being able to meet life on life's terms when life becomes unpredictable which it always is and life is a tough teacher and gives you the test first and the lesson later is when we need to be able to build resiliency so when shift happens and it will that is when we get to interface with it and we get to look at what does this pain, this fear, this event have to teach me? Every single person that comes into your life has something to teach you. If we are using, abusing any substance, no matter what it is, we're always going to miss the lesson. We're going to miss what it actually has to teach us because we become afraid to be in a situation in which I can feel uncomfortable. But here's the thing, here's the rub. It's only in the area when we are uncomfortable is where the magic is able to happen. This is when we like, cause trauma actually closes our mind to possibilities. We're no longer vulnerable. We're no longer willing to learn. We don't trust ourselves. We don't trust others. We have a tendency to isolate. We have a tendency to want to sabotage all of our, all of our health behaviors, all of our relationships, because then we get stuck in toxic shame. It's not, 
I made a mistake and I had that bottle of gin. It's not, I made a mistake and I hurt and cheated on a person. It's, I am a mistake. Yeah. And therefore that's when it becomes personality and that becomes identity and then becomes destiny. So in order to change that, what is it going to take from you? It will cost you your old life. And there's not many people who are willing to take themselves on. Why am I choosing to engage in this behavior when I know that it may not be good for me? Right. That's the definition of an addiction. That's so powerful. And I'm hearing avoidance. I'm hearing people don't are avoiding themselves. They're avoiding pain. They're avoiding the emotions. They're avoiding. Yeah. And would you say like, is that what addiction is? Is it, is it avoiding? Absolutely. It's like, cause, cause disconnection is painful. So we avoid, and that's when we want to numb. We want to check out, we want to relax. And then we tell ourselves that we're overwhelmed and we can't handle the emotions, which of course you can. Of course, it, like it won't kill you. The emotions don't kill you. It's the patterns that come from the feelings that we don't want to rectify and we don't want to actually own that we just hope will, you know, go away. It'll just go away when I do this, but it doesn't because no matter where you go, there you are. Right. And why do you think people, I'm seeing it now more than ever. Like, mm -hmm. why do you think people are so avoidant to deal with their trauma pain? We don't even have to say trauma. I'm just saying oh, life. We're impatient. Yeah. People are just so like, it's crazy. Like, I'm sorry, but I'm going to throw some people in my life under the bus here, but I'm just going to get Starbucks. I'm just going to get a coffee. I'm just going to get fast food. Uh, and it's like, what is happening where we are not, we are not doing the work anymore. But like it may, I was thinking on my work walk earlier today, like, what is it? Are we just that lazy? Liz, are we just that lazy that we just don't want to feel? Are we maxed out? Are we at our capacity where it's like, that's the only thing we can go to is our Starbucks, fast food, coffee, nicotine, porn, cocaine. Like, is that, is that it? Well, I mean, if you looked at a lot of like, a lot of like social media, it's like, yeah, I mean, Lady Gaga was absolutely correct when she said, you know, social media is the toilet of the internet. We're more connected now than ever. And we are more disconnected than other. We actually forget that the first word of social media is social. And in, to be in relationship to someone, to relate, they're always going to hold up a mirror to who, who you're being and how you're showing up. So we have become incredibly, I wouldn't actually say lazy, but I think we've actually come to a point where we're not willing to, to see ourselves. We're not willing to actually take feedback because we take it so incredibly personally when yeah. it's not. It's like, well you get to have ownership. I used to actually equate responsibility and with fault. Yeah. Like, you know, did you ever have that, that thing? Like we you know when you're, when you knock something over, like, I know that I've like broke things when I was a kid and like, you know, my, my mom would come like storming in the room, like who's responsible for this. Right. Like, oh yeah. Right. And it's like, in that moment, we, we realize, and we start to equate responsibility with fault. Like, Oh, not me, not, I didn't do that. And like, 
and, and we, shame, right, right, shame, and we get yeah. called, and it's like, no, here's the thing, the responsibility, and I change it, I like, I, I emphasize different syllables in that, so you can become responsible, so you are able to respond, it just simply means a response to a stimulus, you get to choose how you respond, so responsibility, being responsible, is actually the key to your freedom, and that's actually what I work on with all of my clients, emotional freedom, because every time we make a choice to actually sit with a feeling, we are building emotional fitness. So yeah. just like going to the gym, yes. you go to the yeah. gym, it feels oh, good. You have lots of questions, you get sore, you feel like you look stupid. And yet the next thing you know, over consistently over time, it becomes a habit that actually has like tangible results. And it's like, but you don't get to sit there and beat yourself up. You don't go inconsistently because at that point is like, when we get to that point, it's always like, but, but, but what about this? And what about that? And it's like, we defeat ourselves before we start because it feels harder to actually own and have ownership accountability for our responses. And so they're completely different. So when people just go, Oh, I'm just, just going to go to Starbucks. Just, it's like, well, that's really great. Starbucks doesn't really need your money. You don't really need a Frappuccino. And nobody needs to be a Karen standing in line going, you didn't make it right. I want a caramel crunch, whatever it is, it's okay. And it's like, you don't need that to feel better. And it's like, so when we actually have the ability to go within, when we actually like, like, that's where I tell my, all my clients, I'm like, you know, you get to have a meditation routine because it actually turns down the volume on the rest of the world. You're actually learning how to, respond to and to reparent yourself you're giving yourself the skills and increasing your skills between judgment and discernment so there's plenty of ways out in the world where we judge the living hell out of ourselves and it's like but in this world you always get to have your own back so it's impossible to have any kind of substance or to have any kind of addiction and still be able to actually be with you in the most authentic, loving capacity there is. Yeah, I love that. I love that you're saying, uh, like, I just, I schedule, we joked about this earlier, scheduling time every day to have breakdowns, but I do, <laughs> I, I schedule, and it's not breakdowns, but it's, I scheduled an hour every day to have emotional awareness time to mm -hmm. check in. Yeah. Build the muscle. It's much yeah, like exactly. emotional, it's emotional fitness. It's a muscle. And it's like, and yeah, you know what? Sometimes it's going to suck. I'm going to tell you, embrace the suck. Like I have, I have had pan. A matter of fact, I can even tell your listeners. I had a story. Like there was a few years ago that I was in my marriage, which was an abusive marriage where like, I felt like I was constantly walking on eggshells. And I was like, I had to please him and I had to make everything work. And I thought everything was my fault all of the time. And I started having panic attacks and I had a panic attack so badly one day that I developed a rash over my entire body. And I rushed to the hospital, afraid that I had eaten something that I was going into anaphylactic shock. And it turns out 
that I simply was not owning my voice and my truth, that I did not get to be treated like, like, like that by somebody that I was supposed to love and who I thought loved me. So it was, it actually became like this addictive codependent relationship where I was always trying to please him to, to, to for him. I was actually trying to, it's like, it's so backward. And I see it in a culture all the time, which is I wanted to prove to him that I was lovable and to love him so much that he could love me. Oh gosh. And the problem with that is, is that some people's pain is bigger than their ability to love you. Yeah. And so when they have that much pain, this is when people lash out. Like when people hurt other people, hurt people, hurt people. The reason why they're hurting is because they don't know how to love themselves. They don't know how to sit with those emotions. And I'm not going to tell anybody that they have to police their thoughts. I'm not going to tell anybody that, you know, you can't have a drink every once in a while, depending on your particular situation. It's like, but when you're doing that to avoid being with you, or when you do that to avoid interacting with a partner or being with your family, there's a much deeper issue there that gets to be looked at and healed. And we pass on what we don't process. That's not just to children, that's to other people. There is something called the universal wound. Right. And so when we don't do our part to heal ourselves, we simply contribute to it. Oh yeah. And I love what you were saying. I wrote it down here. Um, intention mm. and how that we have to look at that again and go back to the intention of why we are doing the things we are doing. Because again, and I, 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 even, even myself, I have to question, you know, am I going to the gym because for positive reasons for, because I love and accept myself, or am I going out of a place of punishment, you know, and mm -hmm. intention is everything. And I love that you brought that up when we were talking earlier. And so can you explain a little bit about that? About intention? So because like when we become grounded in a vision and we have intention. So for example, let's, let's go with the gym analogy. If I'm going to the gym with the intention of celebrating my body in movement and me being with me. And like, personally, I, I actually do like the arc machine. The arc trainer is my, is my favorite. But if you're going to the gym with the intention to lose weight, of in like you're attached to how you look or you're going to show up other people that is never really going to work out for you and why explain that what's the psychology behind that because it's all ego driven it's becomes it comes from a scarcity and a fear reaction so if we're setting our self-worth and our ability to love ourselves based on how we look or how we appear to other people, that's like building a castle in the clouds. It doesn't work. And we become inauthentic and we don't really, we're not really centered in who we are or even our, what our gifts are to be able to give to the world. We're just simply going by what we think other people want, which actually goes back to the people pleasing. And so that's when we become so attached to like, well, I'm not allowed to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. perfectionism is also another type of trauma response 
there's, there's many an addiction can it be an addiction oh perfectionism absolutely because again it's like there is there is actually such a thing as love addiction mm. pia melody has books on this this is wonderful so codependency love addiction sex addiction porn addiction i mean like there are so many different types of ways in which people will produce endorphins and, and dopamine in the strangest ways. I mean, like I actually have seen some of those on dating apps. I'm sure you have too. And people like, you know, I'm just like, wow, is it fetish Friday? And no one told me, you know, <laughs> there's lots of different things that people will engage in to, in order to make themselves feel better, but what are they really avoiding and what are they running from? So who are you really without those things? So whenever I ask somebody like, who are you? You know, I'll, I'll get like, you know, they'll tell me their age, their, they'll tell me their name, they'll tell me their, their family, where they're from, what their job is. And I'm just like, like one of, my, one of my pet peeves is when people go, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a human being, what do you do? Mm -hmm. So it's like, because you're just simply waiting for the answer to be able to judge them, right? It's like the same thing that like, you know, most of the time we don't actively listen to people. We're waiting for like, we're waiting for our turn to speak. Mm. We don't actively listen. That's huge. I love that. I love it. I, um, I know I repeat myself a lot and say, I love it. Cause I just, I just so <laughs> enjoy it. I go back and listen to my podcast. I'm like, wow, I say that a lot, but it's, <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's also, you know, digesting and processing things that people say because when it resonates it's one of the things that I love so much about the the throat chakra is that when something resonates and you feel it to your core it has a ring of truth and so for the, also for the listeners that don't know I'm a Reiki master teacher so I move energy when I speak mm -hmm. and then I don't say anything that doesn't have resonance or weight or have an intended purpose like that's one of the things I always tell people. It's like, well, I'm an overthinker. And if overthinking is a superpower and it burned calories, I'd be dead. Mm. But the other thing is, is that you can always rest assured that when an overthinker says that they love you, you can take that to the bank because you can be damn well good and sure that they've thought of every reason not to. Mm -hmm. So yes, I analyze everything and I... I remember so much when I was a child where people would always be like, you know, well, where does that come from? You need to like, you need to think before you open your mouth, before you speak. And so now I just, and it's like, it's that kind of bullying and it's that kind of limitations that most of us just simply get to like give up. We get to give up and we just get to be free. And it's in the freedom of that expression. It's like, what I tell people, you get to like, let people be so authentic. You get to be so authentic that you actually give people permission to be their best selves in a way that is so liberating that that's what spreads energy and joy. And that's actually the entire intention and purpose of creating my, my community. And that's what I really want is I want people to support each other. It's like, it's never about me. So but it's always fascinating how that works out. Mm -hmm. And then people are drawn, people are drawn to that. So I really want to create that kind of community. It's like, you know, like shoot for the stars, you know? I, you know, I, I totally agree with everything that you're saying and uh, uh, yeah. <sighs> yeah. 
Can you leave our audience with a tip if they are struggling? What is what is the first step to, you know, because you're saying if addiction is so much about avoidance and related to intention and um, I, I wrote it, I even wrote it down. Anything that can change your mood can be, become an addiction. And anything that you rely on for a mood can is an addiction. And mm-hmm. so I, what, what can, for those that are listening, what's the first thing they can do? Is it, is it like start becoming aware? Is it journaling? Is it sitting with those feelings? How do you build that emotional fitness? Hmm. You know, actually, one of my favorite things is I I tell my clients all the time about the 1% rule, because if we change too much, because like, this is the reason why 95% of New Year's resolutions don't work within two months, they fail within two months, is because people are trying to change too much too soon, it actually throws your body into a trauma response. So what I say, the 1% rule is like, change 1% of of your day, your habit, your routine at a time. And then once you've actually done that, then you can can begin to build a sustainable practice. So like, for example, that's one of the reasons why diets don't, they don't work for the majority of people when they first go on them because they're eliminating entire food groups or they're drastically reducing their caloric intake. And they're not looking at, well, wait a minute, what am I actually replacing the food with because there's an emotional connection at least that's for some people other people it can be different things but how do we build confidence in being able to deal with those emotions and being able to overcome those things it's like change one thing at a time so like for example like to build integrity and to learn how to build self-trust change one thing so give a really good example Drink an eight ounce glass of water first thing in the morning, every day, without fail, becomes a non-negotiable. And it's a very extremely simple act. It's something that just about anybody could do, but it's when you consistently stay with it and you're keeping your word to yourself is what builds confidence. It begins to build self-esteem because how do we feel, Charlene, when we break our own word? When we don't do what we're saying we're going to do. Yeah. Right. So we end up feeling bad. So choose one thing. For me, that became meditation. Every morning, I meditate in minimum of like 15 minutes. But it's like I've, I've reached up to 35, 45 minutes, and it has changed my entire life. Mm-hmm. So, and it's, you know, and now and you like, trust in yourself. Absolutely. And it's also, you're actually exercising the emotional fitness and you're learning the difference between judgment and discernment, but like we can go into that. But like, then I started doing, I started adding the water in the morning and I started adding exercise and walking my dog. I started adding, like I actually took away gluten. I took away sugar. And it's like, it's all of those things that, you know, slowly started to heal my body. I started feeling better. I started seeing the results of it. But if I try to do all of that all at once, what do we, what do we actually learn how to do? We learn how to sabotage ourselves, but it's the 1% that becomes sustainable because it doesn't feel threatening. We're actually not, you know, so that's why I always encourage people to just change one thing, add one thing to your routine 
that you know is going to be good for you. Like brushing your teeth in the morning, or if you say that you're going to wear purple that day, wear purple. Mm-hmm. It's in the simple acts, like that's why I always love the acronym KISS. Keep it simple, sweetie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, this has been a, a great conversation and bringing a lot of light to, to an awareness to addiction and the emotions behind it. And would you say, is it safe to say that, you know, the root cause of addiction is, is unresolved trauma? Well, yeah, it will unresolve trauma and um, emotional dysregulation. Emotional dysregulation, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just, so <laughs> it's like, I'm not gonna say that you're not gonna have the emotions. I always tell my clients like, you know what? I can't say that you're never gonna have anxiety again. You're never gonna have depression. It's like, of course you will. But you learn how to build an evidence locker that actually speaks to the reason of how you can actually change that. You have the ability to shift your emotions and your mood at any time. You don't need anything outside of yourself. And sometimes they're still going to suck. I actually had a coach of mine. You're going to love this. <laughs> I actually had a, a coach of mine just go, Liz, sometimes emotions are like farts. They come and go. And sometimes they really stink. And sometimes you can't stand yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's normal. <laughs> emotions are like farts. There you have it, folks. You just deal with it. It's just part of life. It's just, well, and, you do. And, and your farts guard. I always say emotions are there to guide guide you. I think your farts are there to guide you too. They kind of let you know, like, you know, how yeah, that something's not that, being broken down. Your yeah, body exactly. didn't like something. It's okay. And it's bodily functions. I mean, like, you know, <laughs> we'll have that discussion later. Cause there's like, because like, here's the thing is like, I've actually been trained to deal with and like actually counsel almost any type of disorder so i've even counseled like sexual disorders like you like almost anything i've like over like this period of time and i worked for a crisis center for over a decade went out with police not to mention like all the different traumas and things that i've been through like i've learned a lot and now it's just been my mission to empower others to be able to overcome whatever is showing up in their lives that's holding them back Cause it's all, it's really all disconnection. And like life is about connection. That's really what we're here for is the dissemination of knowledge and energy. Mm-hmm. So energy is neither created nor destroyed, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's up to you how you're manifesting. And like, we are the source for everything in our lives. If we have things in our lives that we don't want, what do we get to look at to be able to change? It's like the law of attraction, right? And then once you focus on grows, but so many of us have a tendency to focus on the negative. Well, that's only going to pull more negative towards you. Mm-hmm. So if I'm focusing on, I can't stand this emotion, I can't stand this feeling. And we're telling ourselves that I'm always going to feel this way. Or, you know, that was a long time ago. I shouldn't feel that way anymore. Or like, why can't I get over it? It's like, well, there's some judgment. And then we just end up making ourselves feel worse. Mm-hmm. And it becomes a self-blame game. And it's like, that is the game that nobody wins. And that is why you have to train yourself in your mind and your body and spirit. And why I think having a coach practitioner, someone in your corner for that co-regulation, I am just like all about, I know that's so trendy, but I am all about self-regulation, co-regulation, self-regulation, co-regulation, connection, disconnection, connection, disconnection. Like it's just, I want people to get that. I want people to get that 
The answers are within and they are enough. They can do it. You can overcome it. You do not need the marijuana. You do not need the Starbucks. You do not need, it, it, it will not serve you. It, it is just causing more disconnection with yourself and it's going to make it more difficult later. Right. I mean, and like I said, it doesn't make, doesn't mean you can't have some, like I go to Starbucks, I go to Dunkin' Donuts every once in a while, but it's like, but if I don't need it to, I don't need it to get through my day. Like I can honestly, I care less. <laughs> so right? it's like, it, just, it just depends. It's like, you know, it's really, what are you avoiding and what are you pretending not to know? Yeah. Ooh, that's a good one. What are you pretending not to know? Write that down, people. Write that down. Oh, well, we could go on for hours and we will, and we have. And so um, I'm looking forward to next week. But in the meantime, if anybody has any questions, uh, where can people find you? Do you have an, I know you're on Clubhouse. What's your- Oh yeah, I'm on Clubhouse all the time. Like, you know, I'm the holistic trauma coach. And then I'm on Instagram. It's just Liz Childs, that's C-H-I-L-D-S, period, coaching. So LizChilds.coaching is my Instagram handle. So, but if you look up Liz Childs, you will find me. There's not many, very many of us and look up holistic trauma. So, but like to heal trauma, to heal addiction, the only way to do that is to really learn to be with you. Mm-hmm. It's the first step of emotional intelligence. Mm. Oh, that's good. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being here. And I really want to honor your time. So, um, Everybody, thank you for listening. Stay tuned because we will be putting another podcast out um, talking about codependency. As well as if you have any questions, you can get a hold of me, Shereen at innermindperformance.com. Um, and uh, of course, I will also be putting the show notes and uh, some of the information where to get a hold of both of us. Otherwise, thanks for listening, everybody. And again, thanks for being here, Liz. And goodbye for now. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Inner Mind Podcast. If you have any questions or want to know more about my Transform Your Mind, Transform Your Life packages, you can email me at shereen at innermindperformance.com. You can find more life-changing content on my website, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at innermindperformance. If you like what I'm saying, please take a moment to leave a rating and a review and share this with a friend as knowledge is powerful. Oh,